Hi, this is Dan with Brandon with Christianity Commandeered, and we're back. We made it. Episode two. We're not canceled quite yet. Uh, we didn't talk about in episode one, uh, which if you haven't listened, please go back. We kind of cover briefly a little bit about uh, the faith background that we grew up in. Um, when things started to change and just kind of our goals for, for doing this podcast. Uh, but we didn't talk about the title, uh, yep. Christianity commandeered, uh, not really a word that many people use. Uh, you know, I think of, I think the only time I've actually ever heard it was in the Pirates of the Caribbean, uh, the first movie, uh, when Jock Spray says he's going to commandeer that ship. And so yeah. it's a cool word. Um, but yeah. What does that mean, Dan? Yeah, I mean, it sounds very British, right? Yes. Uh, yes. Colonialism. I mean, you're thinking we're taking something for the for crown and country. Um, yeah. So, so uh, the the reason I use the title. Well, first, the real reason is that my wife came up with the terminology, and probably Brandon and I are the type of people that if we actually had to come up with ourselves, we this would start a year from now, and we still wouldn't be happy with what it is. So uh, when my <laughs> wife mentioned it, I was like, we probably just got to do it. Cause like, I can't, I'll, I'll keep sending you titles. I, I can't, there was a few days I was sending just title after title. Um, I, I can't speak for Brandon, but I, we do plan to have Brandon's wife on the show at some point. So he, she might be able to also confirm that he also has a huge ego like myself when it comes to titling <laughs> something that's important. Um, so that, that's, that's really why we landed there, but the words worked really well. Because um, that's the key word, right? We're talking Christianity, commandeered, um, and the commandeered basically saying like it was it was taken from you, um, almost almost used uh, most commonly militarily. Um, there was a, an expedition that came forth and took Christianity, and but kept it. They kept some of the contents and kept using it for some purpose, kind of like the boat example with the pirates. It's right. They're going to commandeer it. They don't want to destroy the boat because they can use the boat for a purpose. Um, just not the purpose it was originally used for. Uh, so that's where I was coming from. Brandon, do you have other thoughts on that? Yep. No, I mean that, that really sums it up and kind of speaks to, you know, what we talked about last time through, through our stories uh, in that, we experienced what I now see as a Christianity that has been commandeered. Uh, that is, you know, perhaps even been taken from, from Jesus himself um, and maybe unrecognizable to the person of Jesus that we see in the gospels. And, and that's really what we want to explore together um, through story, through interviews, uh, probably starting with our lovely wives and through exploring like various biblical, theological, political topics. So basically we're going to talk religion and politics, which is like the good rule of thumb to bring up at every holiday mm -hmm. function with, with everybody to, to make everybody real happy. Right. That's how it works. Yeah. To smooth things over. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you saw them five years ago, it's going to be another 10. Right. Yeah. 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 There you go. Well, I, I thought we could start, uh, Brandon, you're the, the biblical scholar here, so I thought we would just oh, start geez. in the beginning, um, start with Genesis uh, 1 and 2, and kind of just start there, and the reason why I want to start there was, well, easily, uh, it's in the beginning, uh, but also a lot of people know the stories in the beginning, 
Um, but I also, the reason I like it a lot as I've looked back on my own Christianity is that it, it actually sets all these arch arcs uh, going forward that really could lay the groundwork for a, a different kind of world. Not one that we're really living in right now, but one maybe we've ignored. So uh, let me let me start with my first example, which is uh, a lot of people get stuck in trying to determine like is the world 6000 years old is it ancient does evolution exist and a lot of people think that those topics make or break religion or christianity and one i think that a lot of the times we get so focused on topics that aren't even about salvation or about caring for the poor or um justice um it kind of demeans the rest of the Bible. That's kind of what I see. I see a lot of the battles today are about these other topics um, that really, if people like boiled down some of these verses and the poetry and the phraseologies that they might be a little more confused about trying to argue that they're either you know perfect or literal or something like that. Um, Brandon, could you kind of tell us what kind of inerrancy is? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's the way I viewed the Bible for most of my life. Uh, whether I would have called it that or not, I can't really speak to that. I definitely would have once I like began my educational studies. Uh, that was made very clear that this was the way that we read the Bible. And, and essentially what that means is that the Bible in its, in its original form uh, is without error. Uh, and so that leaves some room knowing that uh, these are translations, uh, and that we don't have the original, the original forms. Um, we, throughout history, it's been incredibly well preserved, um, but uh, that that's kind of the general idea. And what that's morphed into over time is that essentially, like this book, came from God, um, and that that kind of trumps the the human elements uh, that these were written by humans uh, over over a thousand years uh, people from different backgrounds uh, different socioeconomic statuses that's all kind of thrown out the window in the way that that most evangelical Christians talk about the Bible today because well it came from God and therefore it is without error and therefore again it's perfect it's a perfect book and um, there's some merit to those you know, to that line of thinking. Um, but when you throw out ideas of genre and context and start to ignore those things and just start to read things really woodenly and literally, that's where I think we have a lot of trouble. And uh, it starts on page one, Dan. Uh, uh, yeah. So over the uh, couple of days ago, I was reading chapters one and two and kind of refreshing, um, you know, this, the story that's, I don't even remember the first time I was told it. I, there's no way. It's almost like it's locked into my memory of something I've always known. Sure. Um, I do know that when I was told the story originally, there was only one story. And it would have been Adam being created first and then Eve coming later. Um, yeah. And I, I, <laughs> I can't even remember, but it's only been some years ago when somebody told me that there's at least two creation stories in there and that there's at least potentially three different writers and we don't know who they are that uh, composed Genesis, uh, early Genesis chapters. And uh, that blew my mind because 
again, going back to the, the fact that we're talking about maybe teaching children this and, and kind of where they're going in life, that's something that could make or break someone's faith, even because of the way it's built up being so certain and so obvious and that there's one answer that as soon as you hear there's one other answer that could make people really start peel away uh, just the, the strength of the trust they had and who they were taught from. And, and I'll be honest, like I, I can't say that there's someone I blame uh, growing up that taught me something that I no longer believe now. I, I can't say that. I, you know, mostly here we're talking about just the results, the results of being taught one way. And for me, being taught that there was only one story, which can easily be argued that there's two, is not a thing that I want my kids to go through as they get older, as they maybe look at me and think like, did you, dad, you, I mean, you told us it was this, now we're reading this, what gives? Um, my kids are, are three and five, so like these are pretty generalized stories, and I think most of the books I have don't really go into so much detail even anyway, but um, Brandon, is this something you've had to deal with your kids that are a little older, but not much older than mine? Yeah, 100%, and and I think you, you hit the nail on the head in that, like, we're, we're trying not to create a house of cards kind of faith or a house of cards idea of how to read the Bible where, you know, if one little thing is out of place, well, then we got to throw the whole thing out. And um, because that's, that's kind of the scenario that a lot of, a lot of kids, a lot of teens, a lot of young adults, and then even adults, that that's the faith that they were handed. Um, and so, you know, kind of the classic story, you go off to your liberal state college and you take one sociology class or whatever, and yeah. anthropology class, and suddenly your whole faith falls apart because it's not ready for critical thinking. It's not ready for nuance. It's not ready for any of those things because we were told, you know, well, it says right there, uh, God created the world in six days. So that's what he did. Uh, did you grow up thinking that Dan? Yeah, no, I, I definitely did. And what I kind of laugh at myself is that I still tried to use science to prove that point, which kind of blows my mind because I think today's standard is that science doesn't matter or the knowledge doesn't matter. It's just this truth. And as a kid, I would read books and my parents had them and I would use those arguments like, oh, no, this is possible. So, for example, in the Bible with the story where is that Moses keeps his arms up? and Or no, no, that's the battle. But the, the sun, uh, there being two days. And I remember it's been that other cultures have mentioned this, this more than one day sun. And it was like, well, there's actually science that proves this. And there's this. And, and I was so eager to use science to prove. But I was also very science-minded as a, as a young man. And I think that maybe even back in the 90s that, religious people were maybe less fearful of science. Um, but I also grew up with an idea that really there was fear all around faith because there was fear not to like, don't read the wrong thing. Don't see the wrong thing. Don't say the wrong thing. Don't read the wrong books. And that kind of fear, I, I didn't necessarily sense it, but it was this kind of wall. And so if it's six days, when someone says something else, boom, there's a wall. There's nothing else outside that, that room. It's, it's such certainty that there's not even an argument. Yeah. So, you know, there was no room. Like I, I even had science teachers that taught creationism. 
So I really didn't even get a fair understanding of evolution. And again, I, I would say one of the topics, one of the, the categories we want to avoid in this podcast is dichotomies or dyads or uh, binaries. It, that That's a binary I was created. And I would say that's a negative thing, that there was one answer here, six days. There's no other answers. There's no nuances. And that's because it's right here in Genesis. What about you, Brandon? Yeah. Yeah. And that, you know, you either have to pick science or the Bible, science or faith. And like, I remember growing up, like, I, I just couldn't care less about science because like, I don't know if it was taught explicitly to me, but um, like I was much more interested in math and in business and other things because those didn't seem as antithetical to my faith as my high school biology class uh where there was just this assumption of the big bang this assumption of evolution um and like those were those are not possible given given the faith that that i inherited and so uh what we're trying to do right now is one just to say a simple phrase that is not said nearly enough in Christian circles, but not all Christians believe that. Uh, I think that's really important uh, to to see that like we all don't agree on everything, but then also that, you know, I, I believe that all truth is God's truth. And so whether that's scientific or theological or whatever, <laughs> whatever ology we wanna be talking about, um, and so there doesn't need to be these dichotomies that you're talking about. It doesn't have to be either, or it doesn't have to be, well, evolution or Jesus. And, Oh, you know, that's the Trump card and you're out. Um, right. You know, maybe, maybe things are a little bit more nuanced than that. Um, yeah. And, and this is a topic we'll get into later, but just to kind of put a little something to it for now, I, one of the, the biggest critic critics I have criticism I have is that, we really have created these churches that are so insulated that as soon as someone says something outside this common core, like that person has to leave. Or if mm -hmm. the pastor says something that questions someone, a group or enough of people, they have to leave. And if you're looking at like rabbis in the kind of a, the tradition of, of Hebrews and is um, Israel culture, culture, there would have been all these, and you can expand on if you have time, but you, you can have all these people with different perspectives and you might go, listen to one and say i follow this rabbi and these are some of the topics that he's pretty firm on and I, I trust him and i believe these things but there would be a rabbi down the street that says actually i don't and they'd argue and i would love to see more of that in the churches for today is that you have people sitting next to each other that disagree on those topics and they just they bring those topics up they're always sliding back and forth and talking and they're free to do it and it's not enough that we we have to kick this person out of the church and they can't feel comfortable here yeah, we've lost the ability to have like real debate and real conversation. And that is so funny because if we're looking at like our spiritual ancestors, the Hebrews, like you just said, like their whole faith is based on arguing with one another, arguing with God. Look at the Psalms, look at, look at lamentations, look at the stories. I mean, we're about to look at Genesis one and two, two different Genesis stories. They were totally fine putting these two right next to each other and not telling us uh, which they thought was better, you know, uh, like that, that's a very Hebrew thing to do. And it, it, if we look at all the questions that Jesus is constantly being peppered with in the gospels, they're really asking him, are you with Rabbi A or B? There, there were two big rabbis at the time. They kind of were the two big schools that everybody agreed with. And Jesus 
a lot of times sides with with one and a lot of times sides with the other but typically that's what they're asking him is are you more on this side or are you more on this side and, and usually he just asks them another question to to get them to think harder um but that that's very much just in the spiritual dna of of our spiritual ancestors yeah well, let's let's jump into a few points kind of in Genesis because I think we can kind of flesh out. I'll, I'll just start with one that kind of is, or maybe a couple here. And I, one thing that I learned much later in life and um, that kind of blew my mind was that when I was a kid and we talked about the serpent that was in, uh, uh, in Adam and Eve's story, I, I was told, and I, I can't remember the details, right? I would have been a young man, but I'm pretty sure somebody just said that that's Satan um, or some of the translations I had, which I believe I only use NIV, and I would have said NIV is the only version you should use because I was always searching for the one answer, the comprehensive answer. And as I got older and I started doing research, and this is probably more in the last five years, I realized that the reason why it says serpent is because it predated Satan. And for some people listening, you might think like, well, nothing predates Satan. This is ridiculous. It's like, but... For the Hebrews at the time, it did predate Satan. They didn't have a concept of Satan. And when I read through the Bible most recently, you can see that transition, which is it's very, I find it beautiful and amazing. But when you're going through uh, the history, like Chronicles, and you're hearing the story of them saying, it's God's fault, God's doing this to us. And they, the next time they read, write uh, the history, it actually says, oh, it's Satan. They replaced it with Satan. And... I never noticed that because one, I ignored everything I read when I read through the Bible for the first time. I didn't have enough time to absorb anything. I wasn't old enough, mature enough to, to see those things. And now that I'm older and I can read further and comprehend farther, I'm now reading those differences. And now they jump out at me because I, I haven't done what sometimes is called con conclusion uh, reasoning, which is the answer is that the Bible is perfect and connected and so everything is read into that answer now I'm just reading with an, an open mind of considering, like, what does this say? What does that say? Like, oh, that's that's interesting. Um, but that's the serpent's kind of the one that I just I, I love that because it's it's so hard for people to get around the fact that these people in the earliest documents you have in the Bible, they didn't really have a Satan. No, no, they didn't. Um, they have a talking snake. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which you know uh for our first story the the man's name means man the the woman's name means life and we have a talking snake uh you know maybe there's something more going on here maybe maybe <laughs> <laughs> i uh let me do a second one real quick um i read a but kind of a few different things of what what adam meant and even like the word that it came from, like red sand, is actually a feminine word. And in some translations, it's just considered creature of earth. Maybe it doesn't even have uh, a characterization. And even though when I was a very young conservative, I, I actually did not believe that Adam was a man or a woman. One, because it said God made, well, I think it was that was where he said, we will make him in our image or something like that. Um, so I kind of thought Adam was this creature, no, no male or female, and that when the rib part of the story comes into play, now you had men and women, or at least you know more than one sex. That's where I, and I, I think that would have been heretical, probably. I don't think people would have. Um, but it didn't make a lot of sense to me that Adam had male parts. 
because why would have God would have done that? Well, it doesn't it make sense to me. And, it, and then I wondered, like, did the animals, were they part, partners or were they just individual animals? They didn't procreate because they just lived forever. And that was Eden. And then, well, now the sin comes. Now they're carnivores. Now they're mating. And now there's Adam and Eve, and they're trying to survive as well. Um, but then you have the the other part of the story, which is, well, one of the versions just says that men and, or uh, Adam and Eve were just created at the same time. And that's a piece that I think is going to come through our podcast all the way down the, the road, because Western society, I, like I was taught when I was young, always talked about the patriarch, Adam. It's like this man, he's headed. Now there's a woman he's pulled from there. And they didn't want to make it sound sexist, but there was this, this headship. And of course, it comes down the road. But if you're reading the first story in Genesis 1, created at the same time. And that trajectory has equality. And it's weird that I was kind of, I ignored it. And I, even when I read it myself and I read through the Bible, I was always looking at the second story. And I was taught the second story. And that was more memorable. Um, I don't know if you had an experience like that, Brandon, but that, that's kind of what I was like. Yeah, I mean, it took me... It took me a long time to to start to recognize different genres and basically just to read well. I mean, I grew up in the age of the internet and video games and sports. And so like I was always literate and I was a good student, but I think I think the ability to read well is something that our generation has lost. And so we have a hard time picking up on poetry and you know the, the difference between narrative and poetry um uh and, and and that makes it difficult for for us to have any nuances as we're, as we're reading a text as complicated and as old and as ancient as you know the the first pages of genesis and so you know if we were to sit down and, and and pay attention and just look a little bit harder and take our time with it. Uh, we would see the repetition um, and just like, oh, this isn't this isn't how a normal person would tell a story, right? Uh, using the same words over and over again, the same phrases over and over again, like a a very a very clear rhythm and beat to it. Um, yeah, maybe maybe there's something more going on there. Maybe the point wasn't this is exactly how the world was made because i mean there's there's three full days before there's even a sun to set um so that gets a little confusing right um there's yeah. vegetation before there's rain or an atmosphere so you know so yeah what what's going on here and and what's the point and how do, how does that compare to other ancient Near Eastern cultures, uh, those are the questions that we should be asking, not uh, is this historical fact. Yeah, give us give us some of that poetry. Can you expand on that? Sure. Yeah. You know, and I think this is something that came from from my seminary days as we were learning um, as we were learning to read things in context and take genres really, really seriously. And um, kind of the way that I would view it now is that God is is addressing the the issue in verse two. So after the you know in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, but then verse two, it's now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. Um, the the author of Genesis is gives, giving us four big problems. 
that the earth was formless. It was empty. It was dark. And there was the deep. Um, and that would have been like well known in the ancient Near East as, you know, these, these things put together are, are chaos. Essentially that, that the world, the universe was in chaos. And this is the Hebrews version of God's response. Um, and long story short, the first three days, uh, God is creating spaces. So he's separating light from dark. Uh, and then in, in days four, five, and six, he's filling those spaces. And so by doing that, he addresses all of these issues of, of things being formless. So he creates land, things being empty. He fills it with creatures, including, you know, the pinnacle of creation in this story, uh, male and female at the same time, as you said. And so the, the big deal here is that, uh, is how similar it is to other ancient Near Eastern stories of that time. So this idea of the world being created in six days is very common. Like that's not the only, that's not the only time this is used. Uh, you know, the, the most famous one is from their, their neighbors in Babylon who, who conquered them. Um, and so, but this tells a very different story. So instead of, you know, creation being the result of God's battling, uh, this is God's pleasure is the reason that, that this world was created. Instead of humans being created to be slaves to the gods and to serve whatever their needs are, oh, now they get to serve with God and rule over the world with God as the pinnacle of creation. It's a totally different story and it tells us more about the who of creation rather than the what or the how. Mm. Yeah, no, that's, that's interesting. And, and kind of to cut back to what I said a little bit earlier and kind of pair it, I, you know, if you really read through this as a literal thing, you've already mentioned some of the things that don't make sense. Um, at least from our kind of physical world of physics and our science understanding. Um, but if you look through here, you could, if you're just to be literal about it, you, you could argue that God didn't create a lot of things that exist today. Like there's not a good documentation of things here that are created. For example, just mentioning cattle, um, like that's a very specific category, right? I mean, it's not talking about <laughs> right. dogs, other four-legged creatures. Um, and, and as I joke, it doesn't say that God created mushrooms, which aren't in our society, an animal uh, or a, a plant. Um, and of course, I would just assume that, that the devil made mushrooms. My, my wife and I hate <laughs> mushrooms. Um, but, uh, you know, you can go down that reasoning and it's like if you really do start asking yourself these questions about literal things, you're going to find yourself very dissatisfied. Uh because many things here are just not accounted for in this creation story. And, you know, it's, it's easy to get down that reasoning where you're like, well, you, you maybe have to make assumptions like, well, I mean, assumptions are different than fact, different than uh, inerrancy. And the fact is like, can we just let God create this world and tell this story that maybe be a poem that's beautiful and really is, is also stuck in a, a realm of a thinking that we can't even grasp. I mean, we can't, I mean, here we are talking about when I grew up, there was there was five kingdoms. When our parents grew up, there was only two kingdoms. There was plants and animals. And when I was a kid, there was five. Well, I guess there's seven now. Right. So um, it's, it's a different world. And because people wrote it one way, shouldn't make it diminish it. But if you do make it literal and you do make it inerrant, I would suggest that actually 
really complicates the beauty of it and the importance of it and what it means. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it devalues it. It devalues the value of, of the Bible and what it can offer the church. Um, we miss big things. We miss big ideas. We miss big truths that are trying to be communicated when we read the Bible with this like literal and errant lens. Um, and we, you know, we're also undermining the humanness of this book. Um, and so much of the story of scripture is the Hebrews working out for themselves. Who is God? What is he like? And who are we in relation to him? Um, and if, if we don't see the Bible on that trajectory, things get really weird and complicated fast uh, because the Bible essentially argues with itself uh, throughout. And uh, that that's hard to do if, if everything is true along the way. We keep talking about these topics into our next episode. So we want to wish you shalom. We wish you shalom.